This is a special edition of the RTI Press Pass powered by Rocky Top Insider. Here are your hosts, Jack Foster and Ryan Shumpert. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Rocky Top Insider Baseball Podcast. Still no official name. Um, you'd think we'd have a name you'd by now. We even figured that out in the we are, year we've been doing it. Yeah, we are 12 months into this thing. Well, you know, obviously taking a break in the offseason, but still no name. The Rocky Top Insider Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Foster, joined alongside Ryan Chumpert, Mr. Redshirt himself. How are we doing? I'm doing well. Doing Any, well. Anybody ever called you that, Mr. Redshirt? RS? You're in yeah. sports media. It feels like it makes a lot of sense. And I'll be honest. When you said it, it went right over my head, but it does make sense. I, I like I, that. I thought of that last night, and I'm like, man, I'm going to call him that to open the podcast. The red shirt, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's pretty good. I like it. It's not bad. But, boy, do we have a lot to get to today, so I'm not going to waste any time. It's the Tennessee Baseball 2024 Season Preview Podcast. Buckle up, ladies and gentlemen, because we got quite a ride over the next 60, 75 minutes here discussing these 2024 Vols. There's a lot of Tennessee baseball content on RockyTopInsider.com already if you want to go check that out. A lot of preseason recognition. Players such as Drew Beam, Christian Moore, Billy Amick are getting. And, of course, all of Tennessee's rankings, which it feels like they're pretty much almost a consensus top 10 team. I believe yes. there's 1-11 ranking. But the important thing I want to note is that they were picked to finish second in the SEC East on Thursday. They were. Florida picked to win the SEC East. Uh, Tennessee picked just right behind uh, or excuse me, right ahead of Florida, or excuse me, right ahead of Vanderbilt. 88 votes for Florida, uh, 75 votes for Tennessee, and 73 for Vanderbilt. That was by far the top, then a pretty good drop to South Carolina, who was picked four, followed by Kentucky, Georgia, and Missouri. Uh, this was voted on by the league's coaches. Tennessee gets two first-place votes um, in the SEC's. Vanderbilt got one, so I guess that leaves 11 for Florida. So Vanderbilt, or Florida definitely the pick to win. Uh, the East, Tennessee, and Vanderbilt right behind them. Arkansas picked to win the West right ahead of defending national champion LSU, and then Arkansas picked to win the conference. Florida and LSU also received votes to win the conference. Well, we know SEC is the best conference uh, by a long shot in the NCAA when it comes to baseball, so there's going to be loaded teams everywhere in the SEC, and uh, we'll see how it all shakes out, of course, this season. But, again, you can check all that out on RocketsOpInsider.com, all of the writing Ryan has been doing um, here in the preseason. But before we get into the nuts and bolts of the 2024 roster, I just want to give a brief recap of the major losses Tennessee has occurred, whether it be via draft or the transfer portal. So when we look at the pitchers, of course, the starters from last season in Chase Dolander and Andrew Lindsay went to the MLB. Chase Burns, the biggest transfer portal loss as he's headed to Wake Forest. We know how electric he was in late game situations last year. Um, key re relievers, Camden Sewell, Seth Halverson, and you know a couple other guys such as Bryce Jenkins, Zach Joyce, on down the bullpen are gone. When you look at the skill position players, Jake Kendro, Kyle Booker, Logan Chambers, some notable um, departures via the portal, and then Mal Yahuna, Jared Dickey, Griffin Merritt, Christian Scott, notable guys who either ran out of eligibility or headed to the MLB. Ryan, it feels like when you look at the most notable loss from the pitching staff standpoint, you can point to multiple players, but the one that was obviously you expected Tennessee to have this season would be Chase Burns, and then to me it's Jared Dickey when you look at the other side of the other point. Yeah, no, I agree, and, and certainly Chase Burns I think is probably the difference, and heck, Tennessee would probably be a consensus top five team if he was back in I don't know if they'd be picked to win the league, but you know they'd probably be getting some votes to win the league, a lot more votes to win the SEC, and 
that's a big loss. Um, you know, obviously it was kind of trending that way towards a while last season after Tennessee moved him into the bullpen, and I think that's you know the easy one to highlight because. Like you said, everybody else went to the pros, and we were expecting all those guys to be gone. Um, but really, I mean, you look at it, Tennessee really lost five of their top six pitchers, yeah. roughly, from last year. There's so a lot of turnover. There is. It's way more turnover uh, than Tennessee's had the last few years. There's way more question marks surrounding Tennessee's pitching staff than there has uh, the last few years. And certainly you go from a team last year whose strength was definitively, definitively its pitching, and they were kind of dragging along a poor offense uh, in the postseason. You look at this roster, what we expect, it should be an offense that's about as good as any in the SEC and a pitching staff that's going to look to kind of find its way and find uh, some consistency and guys they can trust as you go into the season. I know, we'll get into it in a bit, but I was trying to make like a mock draft or a batting order, if you will, and I'm like, man, the bats Tennessee has this season is just so different from last year. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, hot bats – Everywhere on Tennessee's hitting order. But Jared Dickey is the one I want to point out as far as a loss, um, you know, in the field and really just from a leadership standpoint. And I don't want to get to that later, too, about the leaders of this team. But we know Jared Dickey and Griffin Merritt were two big time leaders for this team last year. No doubt about it. And, you know, Dickey, he was so consistent offensively. And, you know, he was kind of seemed like the one guy that Tennessee could count on series in, series out in SEC play that. Obviously, I think he got injured there in Kentucky and maybe missed a couple games at South Carolina. Yeah. Um, but was just so, so solid for him. And in a lineup that didn't have a ton of consistency, he was the one guy that can do that. And, yeah, the leadership thing I think is going to be a, a big question for this team. Obviously, I think you know a few of those guys. Um, but still, you're breaking in a lot of new guys, even guys that have been in the program and that we knew would step into roles or maybe had roles last year uh, but are stepping into bigger roles you know, besides Drew Beam, I don't think there's necessarily just an obvious guy you point to as saying, like, hey, this is this is the leader of the team. Right, that heartbeat of the team, right. And like I said, we'll get into that later. But Tennessee has replenished well. Um, they brought in Billy Amick from Clemson. We saw him in the NCAA yeah. Regional batting for Clemson uh, there as a DH, I believe, at the time. But he's an electric bat and the presumed third-base starter for Tennessee. They got a big-time catcher who can hit at the plate. Maybe – Defensively, he's not as good as Tennessee's had in years past, but he's definitely a better bat. And Tennessee has not had a catcher that can hit at a high level in the past couple of years. And then a couple of arms of note, Nate Sneed out of Wichita State, A.J. Causey out of Jacksonville State. Also Dalton Bargo, I forgot to mention, from Missouri, who's a utility man who will you know, have a role for Tennessee. And then last one, Chris Stamos, a uh, left-handed pitcher from Cal, who is a graduate transfer. Yeah, no, it's a really good transfer class. And, you know, obviously Tennessee lost a number of guys to the portal. Chase Burns by far the biggest, but, you know, kind of a classic portal give and take it away. Tennessee landed a ton of studs. I think D1 Baseball ranked it as the third best transfer class. Um, it's either second or third, right up there at the top. And a ton of guys to like it, and especially when you look at why there's so much optimism around Tennessee's lineup. It's Billy Hammock and Cannon Peebles. You know those are going to be two guys – that are going to be really good, consistent contributors for you. Uh, and then at the same time, Dalton Margo is a guy that you don't necessarily know what his role is, but a talented hitter. And, you know, you said Cannon Peebles maybe not as good defensively as Tennessee's had. And, you know, I'm not even sure I'd say that. I think that's kind of just still a wait and see. Okay. Um, and as some of that's Tennessee since Connor Pavoloni, I don't think, has been great defensively behind the plate. Certainly Cal Stark was solid down the stretch last season. Um, so it's kind of a wait and see. Certainly it's his bat that brings the intrigue and the hype around him. Um, but a, a, a huge 
Catcher, ever since losing Connor Pavloni the last two years, has been a question mark for Tennessee. It's good for Tennessee that it's not a question mark, and you have a guy that's going to be a two-year player, too, before he's eligible for the MLB draft. And some depth, too, which we will Tons get of depth. into uh, later on. Some key returners, um, Drew Beam, A.J. Russell, two guys you figure will be staple weekend stars. Drew Beam, of course, no doubt about it. Um, and then, you know, some bullpen arms. Xander Sechrist, a lefty who has started the midweeks last two years. Wyatt Evans is coming back. He was out all year last yep. year. You forget about him. He was he put in some pretty good innings as a freshman. He will be back this year. And then, of course, guys in the lineup, guys in the field you know are going to be a big part of this Tennessee team are Blake Burke, Christian Moore, Dylan Dryling, Hunter Inslee, and Kavaris Tears. So, now that we've set the stage on how this roster kind of looks, let's really dive in. But before we do, I do want to address one, probably one of the biggest storylines of the offseason for Tennessee baseball. One of the, you know, there's a lot of cloudiness going around. Yeah. There's a lot of unknown with the Zane Denton situation. Of course, he announced his return to Tennessee for his COVID senior season, but he hasn't been with the team for months now, and he's still not. He and Tony Vitale have kept up communication but at this point, it definitely doesn't seem he'll be with the team to start the season. We'll see what happens as the season progresses. But just kind of fill us in on this whole Zane Ditton scenario. Yeah, so he wasn't with the team in the fall for personal reasons. He was uh, you know, not in Knoxville and was kind of left it up in the air whether he was going to come back to the team. He is enrolled in classes now, so it is a possibility that he could rejoin the team at some point. Like you said, Tony Vitello has... Been in conversations with him. They've met this preseason and stuff like that. But as of the time of recording here, eight days before first pitch, he is not with the team. So it would, you know, he's not going to be with the team at the start of the season. And I don't think he's really right now currently in Tennessee's plans for this year. Obviously, crazier things have happened. He could rejoin the team and come in in the middle of the season. Um, but I think that would be a surprise. Um, I think the thing that will be more worthwhile noting is, you know, does he – he still has a year of eligibility left if he doesn't play this year. You know, maybe does he – possibly rejoin the team and play next season that's a possibility but that's kind of where things stand it's I'd be surprised if he's with Tennessee this year I'd be just stunned if he's with the team in Arlington next week when they right. open the season um, but again no one's completely closed the door on a return for for Zayden and even if he were to join the team halfway through it doesn't seem like there's any scenario where he would start he, he maybe would contribute but it wouldn't be yeah. a big role no I completely agree and that was even when he was missing the fall, it was kind of a crazy thing to say because he was Tennessee's RBI leader and the hero in so many of those games last year in the postseason. It was kind of like, you know, Billy Hammock's working over there third every day, and Billy Hammock's really, really darn good. So, you know, if Zane had come back, I think there would have been probably a starter spot for him. But it wasn't like it was a guarantee. And Tennessee recruited like Zane did might be going to the MLB this offseason. So they went out and got a really good third baseman, and uh, they're well-equipped. And, it, you know, even, like you said, if he comes back, it's hard to imagine after not – Spending, I don't know, maybe he has been hitting in batting cages or stuff like that right. the last few months. But without doing the full active preparation, that he's going to be able to jump in in the middle of the season and really be right in the Tennessee starting lineup. Yeah, I think it's a good point you made as Tennessee was preparing to be without him anyway. Is it was a slight surprise that he decided no, to come it was. back. Yeah, you know, so um, and it was a welcome surprise. Of course, they got Amick in the portal, and then it was this you know couple month conversation of. Is Christian Moore going to be in the outfield? Yeah. Because you got Amick and Galaney was in the mix before he, of course, yep. went on to the MLB draft. But when you had Amick and Denton, and it's like, Simo going to work at short because it doesn't feel like he's going to start at second or third. It was a, you know, it was a mess there for a second, a good mess to have. But now it feels a little more solidified as to what kind of roles these guys are going to have. Yeah, definitely. And uh, 
Galani is another good point. I mean, since he's really signed two third baseman. Yeah. Uh, and Galani can play corner outfield spots too. And, and Bargo is another guy that can play third. He's right. a corner infielder, corner outfielder, and catcher. I mean, he can, he play, can, about, he can play about any position on the field. So that's the thing with a, a lot of these guys. There's a lot of versatility, and this is probably I'll do my best not to reiterate this point too much throughout the podcast. But Tennessee will play a month before SEC play begins. There's so much versatility. There's, especially in the pitching staff, there's so many questions. They're going to tinker with a lot of different stuff, and we're not going to find even close to definitive answers of what this team is going to look like from an everyday lineup, from an everyday pitching staff situation until we get to SEC play. And honestly, it'll probably uh, be further than that. Tennessee's got a lot of figuring out and a lot of versatility. Uh, Ariel Antigua's injury here throws kind of a, a little snag in the mix of what the middle infield could look like. So, uh, again, I'll, I'll go ahead and put that point out at the start to not – glean too many long-term conclusions from what Tennessee's lineup and pitching rotation looks like the opening weekend of the season. Is, we'll probably see that change a lot uh, over the course of the year. Do you think there's m- – certainly about the pitching staff, I'd say. Uh, there's more questions this year than in the past couple. But as far as the lineup goes, I mean, there were a lot of questions last year, and it took a while to really iron things out. I mean, Hunter Inslee was second in the lineup – uh, day two of the season, and we didn't really talk about it. No, in our pre- I think we didn't, didn't mention it. Uh, in our I think we mentioned it once. Yeah. So there was a lot of figuring out, as you put it, last year. Do you think there's more figuring out to be had this year with this crop of players? No, I think last year there was a lot more figuring out of who's going to be the nine. I think we're a lot closer to knowing who the nine are. It's just how the puzzle pieces fit together. I think that becomes more interesting to me um, and who plays where what does the rotation look like at catcher we know Cannon Peoples will be one is he starting all three games on the weekends mm-hmm. or someone is Cal Stark or Charlie Taylor going to get a Saturday start um, gotcha. you know who who's a DH yeah the shortstop spot it's a lot more about how to me how the puzzle pieces fit I think we have a lot better idea of not all nine, but probably... But nine to 12 that are going to contribute on a consistent yes, basis. Yes, 12 that are going to contribute on a consistent basis. Maybe six that are almost certainly locked in there. Whereas last year you had some of those questions on top of just who was going to play yeah. uh, at a lot of these spots. Last year it was, okay, Kyle Booker's an everyday starter, and then fast forward a month and a half, he's not traveling with the team. You know, so I see He's sitting at the Clemson Regional in the stands, right. not, not yeah. on the field. Like, yeah, a, like a fan, right. So... Okay, and we'll, we'll uh, really dive into the lineup and, and the field here in a minute, but first I want to preview the pitching staff. And I feel like it's a little easier to uh, digest because you have Drew Beam coming back, the QB1 himself. feels like, I mean, almost a certainty now, he will be Tennessee's Friday night start. Yes. Okay, moving forward, A.J. Russell had a really great freshman season last year. You know, didn't get a whole lot of innings, but the innings he did, he was nothing short of phenomenal. He was a really good arm for Tennessee, whose role expanded as the year went on. To me, he's locked in as a starter. Would you agree? I would agree. Yeah, it's those are those are your two of your three starters, and then I think Beam is definitely the Friday starter. Maybe they use Russell on Sunday. I mean, they've done that some in the past where they've – they haven't just gone one, two, three with their best three pitchers in that order. But I do think A.J. Russell is definitely in one of those spots. And certainly a guy that I think, if you're going into the year, you're talking about swing guys and how good Tennessee will be. I think A.J. Russell might be number one on the list because he'll lead this team in strikeouts. Yeah, I would 100% agree with yeah. that. And he was so dominant last year, but at the same time, it was in just 30 innings. He's going to pitch, you know, hopefully for Tennessee, 75-plus innings this year. That's a big jump. Um most of those 30 innings were either 
And I'd say most, the vast majority of those 30 innings were either against midweek teams uh-huh. or in games that were pretty lopsided. So he doesn't pitch a lot of high leverage moments. So Correct. Uh, obviously, I'm confident in him. I think he's really good. But there's still a degree of you got to go out there and prove it. It's kind of like what we talked about with Blake Burke last year. you got to go out and prove it being one of the guys. And Blake Burke struggled to do that. So uh, A.J. Russell, a lot of confidence in him. I think he's really good. But it's how, can, how good can he be? Um, and certainly, if he can be really good, if he can live up to his potential this year, all those other pitching questions you have about Tennessee, they take on a lot less – they're going to be on a lot less serious if you have two starters who you feel really confident they can give you six-plus good innings. Like, I'm riding with this guy. Yeah. You know what you're going to get. You know they're going to be good. You know they can eat up innings. All of a sudden, it's a lot easier to piece the rest of it together if you have a second guy to go along with Drew Beam that's just really solid for you. That is a great parallel you just drew between Russell and Burke because Burke had limited action as a freshman, and every time that dude was at the plate, it was like, the ball may leave the yard. Yeah. I mean, he was hitting home runs at an extraordinary rate. I think he had 14 home runs in his freshman season. 13, I think. 13 or 14. 13 or 14, yeah. It, it was incredible. And um, and it's like, you know, I remember my bold prediction on our preview pod last year was that he'd win SEC Player of the Year. And, you know, it was a bold prediction considering, you know, Blake Burke has never been that great defensively. It was literally only going to be his hitting numbers. But, you know, I felt confident he was going to just be yeah. a unit hitting the baseball, and he he underwhelmed, you know, for the vast majority of the season. And A.J. Russell, it's like, okay, last year in limited action, he dominated. I mean, .89 yeah. ERA in 30 innings, you know, only allowed nine hits, I believe. So he was really good. Can he take that next step? So that's a definitely a storyline to keep an eye on uh, here in the first month of the season, just how he adjusts to being a starter. And it's a lot of – obviously it's different because one's a hitter and one's a pitcher, but it's a lot of the same questions. And yep. How does Burke live, you know, being the guy every single day, being in the middle of the lineup, being the guy that people pitch around? Whereas the year before, I mean, Tennessee's lineup was so loaded. Yeah, when he was in there, seven, it was like, like, yeah, what are you, you – there's three, four dudes better than him. It's, that like, you, it's like you just face future MLB stars, uh, Drew Gilbert and Jordan Beck. Oh, by the way, here's a uh, yes. runner-up for SC player of the year, Trey Lipscomb. Oh, by the way, here's Luke Lipsius, the program home run leader. And yes. then here's Blake Burke. And it's the same way. We listed all those really good pitchers that Tennessee lost, and it was like, all right, if AJ Russell got in, it's like, all right, he's the, here's the ninth dude you're facing on the weekend. You're not scouting for that guy. Like, yeah. you're not – obviously, you're doing scouting, but he's not the guy you're spending all week focusing on. He, he turns into that, being one of those guys, and being one of those guys going to be really prioritized is he faces a bigger role in lots of different competition. And got to further your point, I mean, Burke dominated – Early season. Early season, and in an SEC play, he hit 211 with five home runs, one double, 11 RBIs. Obviously broke out of it a little bit. He was better in the postseason. He had the huge yeah. home run against Southern Miss. It was one of the biggest moments of the season in into game the, two. Into the parking lot. Ended up, ended up one hopped and hit the church, the Catholic yeah. church out in right field in Hattiesburg. Uh, and we'll get into more of that in a little bit. But, yeah, that's uh, another thing to watch. All right, so let's talk about this, the candidates to be the day three starter. I mentioned Nate Sneed and A.J. Causey, the incoming transfers from Wichita State and Jacksonville State, respectively. Uh, Sneed, a high strikeout guy, high velo guy, has, yeah. you know, he has an arm. There's no doubt about it. And then moving forward, uh, Xander Seacrest and Wyatt Evans, a couple lefties that are returning. And then, you know, a guy who's gotten buzz is freshman righty Derek Schaefer. Of these five, I feel like are kind of the candidates to be the day three. Started with the first two I mentioned, I think, leading the pack. Where do you see the pecking order here? Who do you think will be starting on Sunday here nine days from now? I think nine days from now I would 
I would put Xander Seacrest in because I think he will get the start. And just some, the, the familiarity factor. The familiarity. Tony Vitello is a big You've reward guy as yeah. opening weekend start. Guys that have been in the program and do things the right way. And, you know, I don't know if they'll end up being. Certainly he's not the highest ceiling of a guy, but he has a starting experience to being the midweek guy. And the thing I would say about Xander, or the comp, I think, of what a good year for Xander Seacrest looks like and what he could do and be really effective is what Will Heflin did for Tennessee in 2021, where Sadu didn't really have a huge role until his last season. Uh, certainly pitched some in the bullpen, pitched some in midweeks, but not overpowering stuff. A lefty that really went out there and you're just trying to get two times through the lineup giving up two or three runs and Will Huffman was really effective doing that and was a really solid pitcher for Tennessee and that's kind of how they used him on Saturday like I mentioned earlier they had him right between Chad Dallas who was their Friday night guy and Blake Tidwell who was the really talented freshman on Sundays so you know I could see Xander Seacrest doing that certainly he's not the highest ceiling um, Nate Snead I think is definitely the highest ceiling guy and uh, probably gives Tennessee the most punch, but you know he can be a little inconsistent. He's been better here in the preseason than he really was in the fall. Um, but he's the type of guy that, with the potential of being a little bit erratic and having high-level stuff, maybe he works better at the bullpen when you're not asking him to go through a you know, lineup two-plus time and pitch five-plus, yeah, five-six like, innings. It's like no one's been Joyce, and very few are Chase Burns, but he is kind of that guy for Tennessee, you'd say, yes. this year? Yeah, he could be, at least. He's the guy that I guess Drew would probably be number one. But behind that, he's the guy that – and maybe A.J. Russell, too. I don't know. He's up there as one of the guys that these MLB draft people are going to be really circling and waiting to watch and, and raving about. And then the guy that I would say – I really don't think Wyatt Evans will be a weekend starter. You know, I was big on him last year. He struggled a ton in the fall. I think he's kind of an X factor of what his role can be for this team. And certainly Derek Schaefer has been impressive. The freshman – still just kind of skeptical uh, from a freshman standpoint that he's going to end up – Certainly early in the season, I don't think he's going to be a starter. Maybe he's so good early in the season that he gets an opportunity if no one else claims it. Um, but then AJ, AJ Cousy uh, from Jacksonville State. Cousy? I think it's Cousy. Okay. I should know this by now. Uh, <laughs> Cousy, Cousy, I'm not 100% sure. Um, he's the other guy that I would say is maybe an in-between of Sneed and Xander Seacrest, right-handed pitcher. He has started. He was a weekend starter for Jacksonville State. Um Submarine guy, so a little bit of a funky delivery. Again, another guy that's not just dominating, overpowering stuff. Um, but man, in the fall, he was really, really effective. And I don't know, some about seven or eight scrimmages that I watched and, and charted some numbers for. He was really good. You know, didn't give up an earned run in a handful of innings. He did miss a little bit of time with injuries, but uh, a guy that was consistently effective and has that starting experience. Again, I don't think he's. Tennessee has been so spoiled by the last few years of having three dudes that are just amazing and can go six, seven innings consistently. Like, that's really not how even most good college baseball teams are. Right. Most good college yeah. baseball teams ideally have two dudes that are really good, and then they got a dude on Sunday that it's they're looking game. to. Yeah, that's a bullpen game. You're trying it's, to get. It's all about saving arms the first two days. It's like, all right. Yes. Home stretch here on Sunday. And you're hoping to get five good innings from them. And if he gets you four and he gives up two runs, you're like, yeah, gave us a chance. We get to the bullpen. So, And I think that's what Tennessee thought Drew Beam would be freshman year. Yeah, I think yeah. 100, you're 100% right. Um, so, Kuzi Kazi, that's the kind of – he could be kind of be a further one of those guys. Where I don't think he's going to be dominant deep in the games. But, again, get you two times through the lineup, be pretty effective. I think he's a, a guy that could very much do that. And um, 
becomes a reliable option because of that. All right, so you mentioned Seacrest you think will start on opening weekend, but Snead definitely has all the potential in the world to become that consistent third starter. Do you foresee, I mean, do you think it's those two and then big gap as far as guys who could be that third starter consistently for Tennessee this year? I put all three of those guys in there. Causey two? Causey two. Okay. Um, and then maybe not a massive gap to Schaefer, but a, definitely a gap. I think those three are closer, and then Schaefer fourth. Okay. And I'd be kind of surprised if it's anybody Else. other than those four. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. All right. So let's Tennessee get- certainly hopes not, because if it's if it gets past that, it's a lot of guys struggling and them really searching for a lot of answers. Okay. All, All right. right. So let's get to the bullpen. Um, so we'll throw Wyatt Evans in this group. Uh, as, I, as I mentioned, the returning lefty. You have Aaron Combs and Kirby Cannell returning. It, we know Kirby Cannell, Mr. One Out himself, and Aaron Combs <laughs> provided some really solid innings for Tennessee this season. Feels like he could probably take a step. Chris Thomas, I mentioned earlier, the grad transfer from Cal. He's a lefty. Andrew Binky and J.J. Garcia, two returning sophomores that didn't see a whole lot of action last year. Binky certainly more impressive than Garcia ever was in those midweek appearances. And then freshman lefty Matthew Dallas was hurt. Now he's back. He could provide some innings for Tennessee. And then Marcus Phillips, intriguing name here, a two-way player. He's a JUCO transfer from Iowa Western Community College. He's a sophomore. Who are some of these names? We know what Cannell is, but... Combs throwing in this mix. Evans throwing this mix. Who do you think are going to be Tennessee's top bullpen arms? Of course, Causey would be if he's not starting. Schaefer yep. would be if he's not starting. But outside of those two guys in this group, who stands out? Well, I'll give you a quick fact. This will be my Kirby Canal. You called him Mr. One Out. And I was writing the, the pitching preview yesterday and just forgot how just staggering the stat was. If I can find it again, I had it up here on the stat sheet. Kirby, 33 appearances last year. Mm-hmm. 15.1 innings pitched. <laughs> so he's averaging less than less than two outs. Yeah. Closer to one out in appearance. I'm saying .1 innings yeah. every time. It, it was pretty crazy. Um, it was ridiculous. But to go to your point, that's where I will say I almost think you know, I talk about the puzzle pieces fitting together with the offense. It almost feels like if you can make – Xander Seacrest work in the weekend. Having Nate Snead would be such a big weekend arm. He would remind me so much of what South Halverson gave Tennessee last year, where he could okay. be a close-to-door guy late in games, or he could be a guy that could give you three innings on a Sunday uh, if you really needed him to. So, you know, I look at him. Um, he's a guy that that I would circle. And I, Stamos was another guy that I thought was really, really solid in the fall. I think he's going to have a major role. Aaron Combs is, I think, will be one of their best. Those are probably the three guys, and obviously Snead could end up being a starter and change that. But those are the three guys that I would circle right now as being, to me, their top bullpen arms. Snead, Combs, Stamos. Okay. And the thing about the Snead Seacrest scenario is if Seacrest isn't a starter, he's not one of the top bullpen arms. No. But if Snead isn't a starter, he is. Exactly. That's where I think you have that ceiling raises if you can keep Snead in the bullpen and have him – what Tennessee's done with so many guys, with Cameron Sewell, with Sean Hundley, where you ask them to get one inning for you on Friday night to close out a game after a good start, and then ask them to get you know give you two more on Sunday when you need to eat a few more innings, um, and just having that that high level stuff. Combs is a guy I'm super high on, 3.0 ERA last year in 21 innings. Classic example. He's not really his stuff plays more out of the bullpen, so he's not really in that starting right. conversation. But he's to me very much one of Tennessee's best pitchers. You saw how much Tony Vitello really trusted him. Again, he wasn't like one of the main guys out of the bullpen. They had so many good guys, 
But Tennessee went to him in a lot of, a lot of big moments, most notably in Game 3 of uh, the Hattiesburg Regional. They brought him in there. What They went from beam to Combs for one batter. What was it? One out, runners on first and yeah, third. Big a big out. moment. High leverage moment. And he got a strikeout. And, and more than anything, I think you saw that trust. Um, really good breaking ball. Maybe mm-hmm. probably behind Drew Beam, I think the best breaking ball of anybody on this Tennessee uh, pitching staff. And Combs made an appearance against Stanford too, right? In Omaha? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe wasn't as you know high leverage as Southern Miss was, but you know you're pitching in Omaha. Same yeah, <laughs> I mean, again with the on. trust factor. Yeah, that Stanford game was close. Yeah, so. it was. So I think the thing, and one other guy I'll say, then a more broad point: Matthew Dallas, freshman. Mm-hmm. He missed didn't pretty much the whole fall, all fall, and even into a little bit of the spring. I think he's. He's pitched, been back for maybe about two weeks now. I got my first chance to watch him earlier this week. He looks good for a guy that hasn't pitched in, you know, whatever it was, six months or so. Again, given that fact, I doubt his role is huge earlier in the year. But really talented guy, you know, lanky, freshman, lefty, was probably Tennessee's, one of Tennessee's most highly talented draft prospects, one of the guys they were most worried yeah. about losing in their signing class. So I don't know what that role looks like early in the season, but a guy that I wouldn't be surprised if by SEC play is one of Tennessee's more relied upon arms in the bullpen. Yeah, and Marcus Phillips is a guy Tony has talked about a couple of times. He's a two-way player. Do you think, I mean, if he has an impact this year, do you think it'll be more at the plate or more on the mound? I think it'll be on the mound. Okay. A lot of it being just the number. Of just We're talking about this. There's a lot more questions. There's a lot more yeah. opportunities on the mound uh, than there is in the outfield. And I think he's... He's just a raw prospect either way. He's an impressive player, can hit the ball really hard. Reminds me a lot of what Kavars Tears did when I watched Kavars Tears as a freshman, where it was like, if he makes contact with the ball, he's going to rope by. <laughs> yeah, he's going to rope a double or a home run or something, but just not very polished. And he's kind of the same way on the mound, but if you can hone that into getting you an out, I mean, he's a high 90s guy again. At Velo up there with the best of anyone on this Tennessee team. So. I think that will be his opportunity, and that kind of leads me into the point I was going to, more broad point I was going to make, and this is kind of where Andrew Binky is a guy that I liked last year when he pitched, I like when I watched him in the fall, but it's like, last year Tennessee didn't have any lefties they trusted in the bullpen. This year, they're overloaded with lefties that you feel like can give them a lot of innings, and really more lefties than righties, and some of that will depend on how that, another point to why Xander is a weekend starter, and having a right-handed arm in the bullpen and Snead uh, and Causey would be beneficial, so... Uh, depending on how all that shakes out, another reason maybe why Phillips, being a right-handed pitcher, could find a role in Tennessee's bullpen. 13 months ago, he was one of your favorite players on the roster um, heading into the season. Fortunately, didn't play at all. Wyatt Evans, where does he fit in with this pitching staff? What's his role? <sighs> to me, he's like the guy I just I have no idea what to expect. You know, he, he really struggled in the fall when I was there watching him. Got, you know, really shelled a number, a number of appearances. It feels like his velo if not down, has not, if it isn't down, has not taken any steps really in the right direction. So we'll see. I mean, again, he's going to have opportunities like all these guys will because you play two midweek games early. You play three series or you play a bunch of series against teams that you should handle really easily. So all these guys are going to get opportunities. I'm sure he'll get opportunities uh, and have a chance to earn bigger role. But, you know, more in the middle bottom of that bullpen list. Outside of that, you know, top list for sure of three or four guys that I really trust in Tennessee's bullpen. Causey, Sneed, Stamos, Combs, all ahead. Yeah. So he's in that Matthew Dallas range. In that Matthew Dallas range, yeah, Matthew Dallas. In that Matthew Dallas, Andrew Binky, Marcus Phillips, maybe Xander if he's in the bullpen. Okay. 
Kirby's gonna have a very I mean, you trust Kirby more, but he's gonna have a very defined role. Right, exactly. Okay, and some other names, um, freshmen primarily, redshirt freshman and true freshman included. Dylan Loy, a guy who he's a two way player as well, really had a great um, high school career over at Pigeon Forge. Um, he's a name I've heard, you know, been talked about a lot. Do you think he'll have a role? And also, some of these redshirt freshmen, Hunter Sloop, Austin Hunley, have you seen anything out of those guys here in the offseason? I like the lefty freshmen more than the righties, and, man, they have a lot of those left-handed freshmen. It's and that is Loy. And Braden Sharp. Loy, Braden Sharp, Bryson Thacker, uh, Braden May as well in there, too. Um, and really, Braden Sharp would be the guy that I would say I probably like the most out of that group. He's impressed me. Um, but really, with all those guys, you think – they feel like the midweek guys. Maybe one of them, and again, Sharp would be the one that I would highlight the most just because I thought he was the most impressive uh, that I watched in the fall and a little bit I've watched <clears throat> here so far this spring or this preseason. Um, but most of those guys, I'd pencil in midweek guys. Uh, gotcha. And again, I would say as a whole, when you're talking about Loy, you're talking about both the Bradens, uh, I like the lefties more than I like the righties. Yeah, and there's four lefties we mentioned there. Loy, Sharp, Thacker, and May. So. Yes. To our point of lefty arms, I mean, holy cow. Yeah. There's so many. And there's like three more freshmen that are lefties that, you know, won't probably contribute. But there's just a ton of lefties in this Frank Anderson arm farm. Yeah, it made it really hard in the fall of figuring out who these guys are. Because Tinsley doesn't scrimmage. When they scrimmage, they don't wear jerseys. Uh-huh. They got. And so it's like, who, who the hell is on the mound right now? Yeah, and it's like the guy, the returning guys, I mean, it can even be a little bit hard. But, like, at least you kind of know what it looks like, what the tendencies look like. There's ways to pick up on it. These freshmen, <laughs> man, these freshmen lefties, you got no idea you're going in blind. It's tough. And Matthew Dallas is the one that really stands out because he is so skinny and 6'5". Whereas, like, I, I walked in, I didn't know he was pitching. I guess that was earlier this week. It was like, oh, yeah, that's Matthew Dallas. But he didn't pitch any in the fall, so I didn't have that. So... You definitely, when it was the days that the freshmen were pitching, you definitely had to, to go get a roster and uh, figure out what the pitching, or go get a lineup and figure out what the pitching plan that day was. All right, so I feel like we've covered a lot here with this pitching staff. We've talked about how Nate Sneed could be that Seth Halverson type guy. Andrew Lindsay was so huge for Tennessee last year when Chase Burns struggled with giving up a lot of extra base hits and Lindsay kind of saved the day and then became that Friday night starter. Yeah. He was just a cold-blooded killer there on the mound. Who has that upside to you? Is it Snead? Is it Causey? Who has the most upside of those guys outside of Drew Beam, A.J. Russell? I mean, the most upside is Snead, definitely. But I don't, I don't really like the comparison of Snead and, and Russell too much, or Snead and, and Lindsay. Lindsay too much, to be honest. The Howie like, comparison I, fits better. The Howie comparison fits better. I think the way he pitches, the way that – Lindsay was just so sharp and mature, and I don't mean this like a knock on Snead. There's just not many guys that like that that no, can Lindsay come in and be so breed. consistent yes. and steady. Like I just don't think Tennessee has anyone that has that mix of that. Like I think AJ Causey could have that potential steadiness. He's a veteran guy. He's been a starter, but he doesn't have the stuff. Like if AJ Causey has a great year, he's not going to be what was Lindsay a fourth round pick, fifth fifth round pick. Tomorrow. He's not going to be a fifth round pick. So he Lindsay had that mix of both really good stuff that made him a good draft prospect and that maturity, competitive nature, just steadiness. I don't think Tennessee has anyone besides being and Russell that have about, you know, a mix of that. And last question here on the pitching staff. Late game situations, we touched on a little bit, but who do you think's leading the pack there? If ninth inning, gotta get three outs, who are you going to? 
Combs, Combs and Snead would be kind of two that I would highlight. Maybe you know, maybe Matthew Dallas or Braden Schaefer, or excuse me, Derek Schaefer. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe one of those guys step up. You know, it's it's hard to feel that trust in them because you've only seen them throw in scrimmages and not in a game. Uh, but those are guys too that I think have that talent that could be good enough in, in those spots. And maybe Stamos too. Heck, uh, yeah. I feel like we didn't give Schaefer and Stamos enough time. So before we move on, what's their strengths? What kind of guys are they? I know Stamos is a lefty, but you know. With some of their attributes. Stamos, lefty, very much pitchability guy. Um, you know, not overpowering stuff. Low nineties fastball, solid breaking ball. Was it? You know, he's a redshirt senior, or super senior, tons yeah, yeah, of college experience you know in the Pac-12. Yeah. Kind of know what you got. Not super high ceiling, pretty high floor. Kind of one of those guys. And then Schaefer, you know, just again a guy that you look at in two years, you think this is a guy that could be a weekend starter for Tennessee. Could be. A top five round draft pick, good fastball, you know, mid mid nineties at this point. You would think they can get it up to, to upper nineties by the time he's gone. You always wonder, you know, consistency with a breaking ball with a freshman like that. That would kind of be my question. Um, but a really really talented guy and a guy that has a, a high high ceiling for sure. All right, any more pitching notes, Ryan? Before we move to the infield, the outfield, the catch position, we still got a lot to get to here. But any more pitching notes? I feel like this was, you know, probably the most important discussion we'll have. Yeah, because there's more questions here, but a broad thought. <clears throat> there's probably going to be some rough spots for the pitching early in the year. and Or maybe not early in the year, early in SEC play, maybe it's first weekend. Mm-hmm. Maybe comparably against these lesser teams than we've seen the last few years. And some people will be prone to hit the panic button. Are you saying don't? I'm saying don't. And I'm saying this. Two points, really. You go into a season, the pitching can take you really far, but what would you rather feel really confident about, the hitting or the pitching? I'm going with the hitting. Mm-hmm. We saw LSU and Florida, both those teams, especially LSU, had horrible pitching concerns issues last year. Dude. And they, those were the two teams standing because they had the two best lineups, and they figured it out. They got enough guys. I mean, LSU got through Omaha with, what, like five, six arms? Like a crazy low number when of When they runs. ran out, they ran out. They ran out. I yes. mean – I think Florida put up 23 runs in the second game of the series, and yep. they ran out, and it, bad timing, bro. <laughs> yeah. And I think Tennessee has – offense is going to be really good. We'll talk about it. And the thing I would also say off of that is it's just hard not to trust Frank Anderson. Right. Tennessee's – ever since Tony's second year, Frank Anderson's been there the whole time. So it's the last five years. Tennessee's been top 25 in ERA every single year. They've been top five, like three or four years, like – that's as good as a pitching coach as there is in the country. Tennessee has at least one really reliable arm. Obviously, like I said, A.J. Russell, <clears throat> maybe the biggest swing guy on this entire team if he can prove to be a second really reliable arm. I think they'll figure it out. I'd say don't hit the panic button. And I think, uh, you know, I guess it's maybe a point for the very end. But I think this is a, a team well-built to make a really deep run and maybe do some damage if they can get to Omaha. Well, there you have it. Let's get to this exciting offense. But before we talk about – uh, the hitting prowess of these guys. Let's just get these positions solidified in the infield. That's where we're going to start first. First base, Blake Burke. Second base and shortstop. That's the questions. We know Billy Amick is going to start at third. So let's dive into this shortstop, second base situation. We know Simo is going to occupy one of those. Yeah. Which one? We don't know. Ariel Antigua. Uh, freshman who... Freshman, right? Not a Juco guy? Freshman, freshman yeah. True freshman who... 
you know, felt like was going to become the starting shortstop and Simo was going to stay put at second base. He gets hurt with a hand injury. He's going to miss the start of the season. So now there's a bigger question mark. Ryan, Alex Perry, Juco guy, that's a top contender. Um, Brad Keylori, another Juco guy. He's up there, was hurt uh, with his wrist, but now I believe he's back. Dean Curley, true freshman, he's in the mix. feel like those are the top three guys. And of course, Simo in the mix too. Who do you see starting Friday night, seven days from now, one week? Who, who's starting at shortstop and second base? I think Christian Moore will start shortstop, at least to open the season now that Antique was out. And, you know, who starts at second? I don't know. To me, that makes it – you have a lot more flexibility there. Not even throw Camden Bates as a guy that I think could okay. – He's I'd a be true freshman, too. True freshman, too. I'd be – you know, he's a middle infielder. He's worked at shortstop. I'd be surprised if he is at shortstop. But if they do move more to short, I think he's a very real possibility at second base. So does moving Simo to short open up more possibilities because these guys are stronger at second base, these true freshmen, these newcomers? Yeah. And I think it's maybe less that they're stronger at second base, it's just there's less pressure. It's, it's easier position. Yeah, especially yes. if you don't see many true freshmen starting shortstop in the SEC. Right. Um, obviously, that's what makes Antigua being a favorite going into the season, or at least one of the top contenders, so impressive. Um, but, you know, it doesn't mean just because he was able to put himself in that spot, other guys were, were able to. And he kind of has a different gear with his athleticism uh, and his kind of range at that spot that I don't think any other freshmen have. So... Uh, I think Christian Moore will start a sh- shortstop, and then you know I, Lowry will be the other guy if it's not more at shortstop. Lowry's the guy I feel best about at short. Okay. Um, and then seconds, you know, but it, but if it's more at short, then I don't know. I kind of throw my hands up with like, yeah, I could see it being Curly, I could see it being Lowry, I could see it being Perry, I could see it being Bates. Um, Who has impressed the most of that group to you? Perry is the name I've heard the most. Yeah, I would say Perry's probably been the most impressive in his ability to do a lot of different things. He just seems like a, a very complete player, which makes sense. He's a Juco guy. Like, he's not a true freshman. More experience, yeah. Um, better base runner. Like, I think Alex Perry will have a role. I don't think he's going to be a starter this year. Mm-hmm. I think he'll have a role on this team. Okay. Like, he does a lot of things, I think, well. Um, Camden Bates is a guy with his bat that I've I've really liked. Like, I, I think has been really solid. So, um yeah, that's kind of a non-answer, but those but, are. But you think Lori, uh, Curly, or Lori Bates, Curly are ahead of Perry as far as candidates to start at one of those spots, or second, we should say, since that's the scenario we're laying out here. I would say, uh, I have I have so little feel at second if they go okay more. Yeah. I would say I think could it's, it could it be three different guys next weekend. It, Is that I, it really it could be yeah I think it could be I and I think you could see it be where more slides and start some at second start some at short and I what I'd say I feel more confident in. Is that if it's at shortstop next weekend, you'll see either Christian Moore or Bracky Lowry. Okay. I think it'll be one of those two guys at shortstop. So you, now that Antigua, we but know second Antigua second base is more wide open. Second base is more wide open because I think you have less concerns about the defense and you have more guys that. Uh, you don't have to be quite as reliable or quite as consistent with the glove. It's a, it's less to put on him. Okay. Um, Ariel Antigua, when he comes back, do you think he did enough to have a pigeonhole on that job to where, hey, Laurie's raking, he, he's a good defensive player, or Curly, same thing, Simo's really blossomed at shortstop. Does Antigua have a pigeonhole on that job, or is that not the case at all? I don't think that's the case at all. Okay. I mean, he was the leader. He was maybe the favorite, but I don't think he has a So he could come back and just not be a starter if someone else yeah. is impressed. And that's, I mean, that's kind of the nature of baseball as a whole. Like of you watch football, I mean, look at Blade Tidwell. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you watch football or you watch basketball. If a guy is one of the best players in the preseason and he gets hurt, they're probably still going to be one of the best players. They're going to be in the rotation. Drago, to, two years ago, Jarrell Ortega was – or three years ago, 2021, Jarrell Ortega was the guy that – was the opening day starter at second base, and everybody thought he was going to be the guy, and he struggled early in the season, and then he didn't, like Kyle Booker, he didn't end up traveling late in the year. So uh, not that that would necessarily happen in Antigua, but it's certainly a possibility, and you're going to ride the hot hand in baseball yeah, more than anything. And you know, I think a big question is I think Antigua will be back before SEC play, but if he's not, to me that makes it even harder for him to try to get those opportunities because then you're yeah. you're jumping in and uh, everything matters. Games. Everything matters way more. There's no time to kind of have the training wheels on and uh, work through the rust. Whereas if you can get back after you know two three weeks, have a week and a half, two weeks of non-conference play, he's going to get opportunities and chances. Then that doesn't necessarily mean he'll start and they'll step right into being the starter, but he'll get opportunities and that gives him a little bit more time uh, to to regain ground. But to answer your question, no, I don't I do not think he has a vision hole on it. All right, another name I want to toss in the hat here is Robin Villanueva, and I know he's worked at first base behind Blake Burke. He's a Juco guy, but the buzz of him is dude can hit. Yeah, he can rake. And I'm trying to remember what it is. I found out earlier this week it's not Villanueva or Villanueva. It's like Villanueva or something. Villanueva. Something very odd of how it's pronounced. And I can't even remember it. I'm so bad. So not, not the offensive lineman, not the director. is not how it's said. No, not the director. Not going to be a Dune, Dune Part 2 stuff coming out. Um, so I need to figure that out again. I had, I had the person tell it to me uh, literally uh, three to four times the other day, and I still have already forgotten. We got a couple names we need to iron out. There's no question. There's we got no doubt. Kazi Kuzi. I, I heard a, a player for Tennessee baseball Say Stamos, but or uh, Stamos, even Stamos. though it's John Stamos, who's yeah. what you would associate that with. So there's a lot of names we need to iron out here. Uh, hopefully that'll get taken. I felt the away. same way talking. In the, we recorded our regular RTI pod and Colin. I still don't know if it's Chris Brazil, Brazil, Brazil. It's got to be Brazil, right? I would think so. Yeah, that one seems easier. That does seem easier, but and, I, and I'm the dumbest boy in school, so who? And yeah. call, like it's got to be Causey, right? There's no way it's Koozie. Yeah, 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 you're probably right. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that's the villain to weave. I'm just going to call him Robin because yeah, I'm just going to be in my head about it otherwise. He's also, uh, at least, was touted as a two way guy when he came in. He didn't pitch in the end of fall, and I don't think he's going to make any impact uh, this season hitting, but or I mean, pitching. But yeah, he's he can rake. He was in the scrimmages that I had stats from this fall. He was 8 of 21, uh, two home runs, six RBIs five walks so a really solid bat and a guy that I think will probably get some DH opportunities he's kind of a fringe guy uh, I'd be surprised if he's you know ever a true starter on this team but could potentially be a DH could potentially you know be a, a one of the main pinch hit candidates and what I'd really say about him and this goes back to we talked about earlier Blake Burke struggles last year and to me that's a huge question mark coming into the season has Blake Burke turned corner can he be a consistent all-SEC guy well, last year when Blake Burke struggled, Tennessee didn't have one option. It was you could move him down the lineup, but Blake Burke was going to be a starting first baseman. Yeah, nobody. Like KT right would have been second. Probably Ethan Payne would have Ethan been second. Ethan Payne, yeah. Yeah. Um, this year, I think you have Robin, who's an option, and I think you have Dalton Bargo, who's an option. So Tennessee has heck, Billy. You know, if Zane didn't want to come back, you could move Billy Amick to first and play somebody else at third. You have options behind Blake Burke this year, uh, and that's you know. If Burke were to get hurt, if Burke were to really struggle, which I don't think he will, he was really good again this fall, has been good in the preseason, um, that would be another way I could see Robin, you know, 
wanted to pass to him truly being like a starter and not just a, a pinch hit midweek guy. Let's talk about Burke for a second. Are you confident in thinking and saying that this will be a bounce back year for him? I mean, this is put up or show up year. It's your junior yeah. year of college baseball. I mean, this is when the scouts start watching like big time, you know? So I think it's he a big will. year for him. I think he will. You know, you made me bet. I'd say yes, but I, I don't know if I'd say I'm confident. I think to me there's a little bit of, you know, prove it to me. Mm-hmm. I got to see it to believe it. And there's not, a, there's not one thing he can do from now until, what is it, March 9th when they open up SEC play, I think, at Auburn. There's not one thing he can do between now and then that's going to make me believe any more in him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got to prove it against the SEC. I think he will. I think he'll be way better than whatever those numbers I read earlier 211. were. 211, five home runs, 11 RBIs. I, I think he'll be better than that. I'd be really surprised if he's not better than that. I think he'll be a good Maybe he's a not real, 400 a guy, guy, but he, yeah, he's better. At least upper two, 200s into the low 300s and a power bat to be feared in Tennessee lineup. I think that, but I'm not going to say I'm super confident in it. Okay. I think it would be quite the fall from grace if – I mean, it's tough to say that considering how much he struggled last year, but if we're staring at a scenario where it's like, okay, got to bench Blake Burke for Robin or whoever. Yeah, and he would probably have to like, struggle. I feel like that's, that's a, there's a lot that has to happen, right? Yes, it has to. It would have to be him repeating the results of last year. Like, if he's, like what I'm saying, just better, yeah. he's solid, I don't think he's getting replaced. And he has been solid. In the fall, he's been better. He was, he was no, in not even solid. He was really good. He was one of Tennessee's best hitters in the fall. But he was one of Tennessee's best hitters last fall, too. I understand. Like, there was nothing that was pointing to That's to, why you said, hey, uh, midweek you can rake all you want against the Daytons of the world on the weekends. Have at it, but when... And again, and again, like he, not that he had just like a breakout in the postseason, he was better in the postseason. He was not a liability in Tennessee's lineup in the postseason like he was for a lot of SEC play. Yeah. Um... <laughs> All right, so of, uh, of these fringe guys, before we move on to the outfield, Robin's a great bat. Who, who's the, who's, uh, who do you think needs work at the plate? Who do you think is uh, one of the better bats of, of this group of Perry, Lowry, Curley? You know, you can even throw Antigua or Bates in there if you want to, but who do you think is a solid bat who needs work? I think Perry is probably the most solid bat or just like being consistently uh, really, really good. Bates was – was really consistent too. Those were the two I'd say that, you know, I feel the most confident in. Lowry, maybe his bat isn't as high end. You'd worry about him struggling, maybe, you know, as SEC pitching. I mean, you kind of had that concern with any guy stepping into that. Maybe him a little bit more. It's his defense that I that I like a good bit. So um, that's kind of what I'd point to. You know, it's just with any of these new guys, Juco or freshman, especially freshman, it's a whole different ball game. Uh, and you can put up a lot of good stats in the fall against other freshman pitchers. It's a different ballgame when you're facing, you know, really good guys in the top of sport. All right. Well, let's move on to the outfield. And One more catcher. Can we do catcher? Or first? first? I was going to do catcher last. We can do catcher last. We can do catcher last. Yeah. I just didn't want us to, to skip over it. No, no, but no. if you have it last, let's do it last. Yeah, I, I just kind of put it last and then to tie it into, I don't know. Order. I don't know uh, that's, that order. No, right. that's perfectly good. I should have looked at the rundown. That's on me. <laughs> Hand up. I, I wasn't looking at the rundown. All right, the outfield. So we got Dylan Dryling. Dude was really impressive as a true freshman last year. You feel he will occupy one of those uh, corner outfield spots. Hunter Inslee, he's back. That's when we talk about leaders and heartbeats of the team. I know Hunter Inslee, kind of a soft-spoken guy, but he he has those leadership qualities. Yeah, you look he's got that fire, too. Yes, um, you know. He's quiet, but he does have that fire, as you mentioned. And then Kavaris Tears feels like this is a big year for him to take a step forward. 
um, seems like maybe the leader to become that starting right fielder. But right field feels the most up in the air of the three. I think Dryling and yeah. Ensley are you know, pretty solidified. So let's look at these options. KT, Reese Chapman, uh, sophomore just like Dylan Dryling, who was a really highly touted freshman. Not as good at the plate, but probably be- a lot better defensively than Dryling. And then Dalton Bargo, the um, transfer from Missouri. So let's look at these three guys right here. Who stands out to you? Who do you think will be starting at right field seven days from now? I'll say Kavar's Tears is starting there seven days from now. To me, this might be the very – I guess shortstop has to be the most interesting now, especially the antique. With definitely. Ball. I think This is definitely second. And Kavar's Tears is going to start somewhere. That's how I feel. He's either going to be a DH or he's going to be a right fielder. Okay. I feel really, really confident in that. He, there again, go. up there with, to me, was one of Tennessee's best hitters in the fall. I think he's completely due for a breakout year. Super high in Kavar's tiers. Um, Reese Chapman, I think, is the guy that maybe it could be the best defensively and was fantastic this summer and playing in summer leagues. And, you know, his bat was a little up and down um, in the fall. But really high ceiling guy. And, you know, Bargo again. Like, I don't know. There's just so many guys I like in that group. Okay. Bargo has been really good with his bat. And obviously he's such a utility guy. He can play so many different spots. You know, there's a lot of different options for him. Um but I, I would probably go in that order that you have a list of tiers. Maybe not necessarily in right field, but it, I'm most confident they're going to be starters somewhere. Tiers, Bargo, Chapman. Um, but again, I think all three will get meaningful starts early in the season. And you think it's all at right field? Is Dylan only at left, or do you think it could flip-flop? You never rule out the flip-flopping, especially with the way they can tinker with things in midweek. But when you actually talk about getting into the meaningful stuff, yeah, I think it's trialing and left. Emsley in center, and one of those guys in right. Okay. And I would probably say, of those three guys, Tears, Bargo, Chapman, should probably be Tears or Bargo. Like, I would, unless it's a game where Cannon Peebles isn't catching, mm-hmm. I'd be, those are the, by far the two favorites to me to be starting DH. So you think Bargo will start at DH, game one? Yeah. If you're or saying, some, if some you're version saying, of that. Saying KT's in right field... Cannons behind play, it feels like Bargo's the DH. Yeah, some some version of that for sure, I think. Yeah, and so Chapman's the – if Chapman's starting, he's starting in the outfield. There's no DH situation yeah, for so. Reese Chapman. Yeah, I, I, unless it's – yeah, uh, I think so. Unless Bargo's playing in a spot that we don't expect him to. I, I like this outfield discussion way more because when, it, when we're talking about second base, there's just a lot of names and a lot of young guys that you're not familiar with. Yeah. This time it's like – I've seen Reese Chapman play. We know Bargo has SEC experience. We know KT can rake. Um, and, and it feels like those are the three guys, then it's a huge gap. M- am I wrong there? Or is that no, correct? I completely agree. I mean, there was some things to like about Marcus Phillips, like we talked about. I thought Kobe Backus was, has been a lot better this fall in this preseason than he was last fall. Um, and Holden Bronner's a guy that I like as a, as a young dude. but Freshman. Yeah, true freshman, but not – those, those, Not this year. Those guys are midweek guys. Those guys are midweek guys. Those are guys that you're looking at. Maybe less Bacchus because he doesn't have much eligibility. But Bronner and Phillips, you're looking at guys down the road making an impact. Okay. Um, any other freshmen you want to point out here? I know I mentioned Loy earlier. Uh, you said Phillips would have more of an impact on the mound anyway. Um, Jeremy Comer um, and Braden Sharp and Cole Eaton, also a couple of two-way guys. Anybody here that you could see – ever getting an at-bat or any experience there in Yeah, the I mean, maybe, maybe some midweek. Nothing. Nothing was, important. Yeah, Bronner's the guy of that group I could see. If someone's going to get a weekend at-bat or something like that, I think it's Bronner. Is Backus ahead of the freshman, you think? 
Or is he in He's that? ahead of... I put him... I put Phillips, Bacchus, Bronner in the same. Okay. Maybe Phillips a little bit ahead of those two. Gotcha. But and he generally speaking, in the same tier. I remember Tony saying pitchers don't want to face Marcus Phillips. Yeah. But he's a little erratic, right? Yeah, a little more inconsistent. Yeah. Um, again, I would put him at the top of that tier after the, you know, Bargo-Chapman tiers group. Um, but it feels like... But he's closer to Bacchus and Bronner to me than he is Bargo-Chapman tiers. You would be surprised if more than five outfielders got meaningful reps in the, on the weekends, especially in SEC play. Those five. Yes, I would. There you have it. All right. Let's move on to catcher. Let's finish out our uh, position previews here. Cannon Peebles, he's got a great bat. He's the transfer from NC State. As I mentioned, and Ryan refuted a little bit, you know, he's not the greatest defensively, but he, from what Ryan seems to uh, think, he's pretty solid. But we know his bat is dangerous. Cal Stark, Tennessee's primary catcher last year, you know he's good defensively, but he was <laughs> – Hey, you could chalk him up for pretty much an out when he was batting eighth or ninth for Tennessee down the stretch last year. Or a year. walker hit by pitch. Yeah. He led the team in hit by pitches by, like, what, 10 or something? It was, yeah. it was crazy. Um, and then you have Mr. Midweek catcher himself, Chuck Taylor, and then Dalton Bargo, who, heh, have you noticed, he's been in all three of these position previews because dude can play anywhere. So maybe he can get some catcher reps. There's one more name to know. That is freshman Stone Lawless, who has been lauded for his defensive prowess. So it feels like Peebles is the guy, but maybe Stark, maybe Taylor will get some starts here and there. Yeah, I think that's, that's the question. There's two questions with it. It's one, does Peebles start all three games in the weekend at catcher? I, again, I think in those games, is bat so good? He hit last year as a true freshman in North Carolina State. Oh, where is it? I just had it pulled up. Fourth, no, that's Billy Amick. 352, 12 home runs, 11 doubles, 50 RBIs. So, you know, maybe if he's not in there as a catcher on a Saturday game, he's probably the DH. Mm-hmm. I think probably by you get to SEC play in the postseason, he's probably the guy, and especially postseason, he's probably the guy every every game. But early in the season, I wouldn't be surprised if you see probably Cal Star, maybe Charlie Taylor, get like Saturday start every at catcher behind the plate. So what does that look like? That's the first question. Again, I think it's probably Peebles once you get into the thick of the season, all three games. Yeah, okay. And the second? And the second is how the in the world – do they manage the catching reps in the midweek games? You got so many guys. Yeah. You got Stark. You got Taylor. Peebles, I don't think. He's not like starting a, in midweek. Maybe the first week of the season or something. Yeah. I don't think you'll see Cannon Peebles step on the field for a midweek game. Barring maybe he's in a hitting slump and they DH him to try to get him some reps. Something like that. Um, and Stone Lawless is a dude they're really high on. Like As a freshman, like they like him a lot. And I think there's a lot of reasons to like him a lot. So... From that, it's about, you know, he's a guy they want to get reps. Um, so, I don't know. It's going to be fascinating to see how they divide it up. I think you're going to see a lot of midweek games where you see at least two dudes, you know, getting time behind the plate. Interesting. Um, I feel like it's got to be Cal Stark, though, right? Because Charlie Taylor experience, we've seen it so many times. And it's just, it's never fruitful enough to really be worth it. This is so disrespectful. No. Charlie Taylor. The, pl- the playoff Chuck. Look. <laughs> I know how great of a guy he is. And I think why if he's back, like, midweek catcher every week. But, like, it feels like if there's going to be a Saturday guy. Oh, he's yeah, a Saturday stuck. guy to me. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Yes, yes. Throw Chuck behind the plate in midweeks all you yes. want. Yes, hey, yes, I agree. Perfectly fine. Completely, yes. 100% agree. But I, I feel like Stark is, 
you know, it, it felt like you kind of lumped them together. I just want to, I feel like there's a difference. Yeah, I mean, there is one. But again, it's not like, the gap between Cannon Peoples and Cal Stark at the plate is bigger than the gap between Cal Stark and okay, Taylor. Okay, fair, probably. fair. Yeah, so. The important thing to note is, the overarching theme is Tennessee's got a freaking dude at catcher now. Yes. Uh, great bat. And we're last year, that's the whole thing I would say with this lineup, where last year you felt like, there were two or three, and maybe two or three really weak spots in the lineup, especially at times of the year when guys were struggling. Like you're maybe going to have one. I feel like this year, at, you know, one of the young guys starting in the middle infield. Like that's, and that's not even like foregone conclusion. That's just like they have, you know, they got to prove it. Mm. You're not going to have that. This is a really, really deep lineup. Uh, I think I saw D1 baseball's like SEC specific coverage. Like it had one anonymous SEC coach was like Tennessee and Texas A&M will have the best offenses in the SEC so really deep and I think that's the thing that stands out most about this lineup is how deep they are there you go by the way how incredibly great are the names of Tennessee's catchers they do have some great I mean can, are you kidding me Cannon Peebles is yeah. elite tier yeah Cal Stark is slightly below but still a great name same thing with Chuck Taylor I mean you could say Charlie Taylor Charlie Taylor not as good, but, weaker, Chuck. But, but I mean Chuck Taylor like I'd go to bat for that guy any day of the week and then the the one that trumps them all Stone Lawless I mean come on it's like the greatest name ever Stone Lawless these, these is, names are insane Stone Lawless and Cannon Peebles are two of the best <laughs> catcher names imaginable yeah they were born to be catchers do you like your name Ryan Shumpert. Yeah, I like I like my name. You like your name? Oh, what I love about your name is that you instantly have just a great nickname with built in with your last name. Like Shump is just yeah. I mean, come on, that's a great nickname to have. It is yeah. Like Jack Foster, I feel like it's strong, but strong name. Definitely. You know, I'm just Jack. Yeah. Like Shump is like is really cool. You know. Yeah, the last name gives it a lot more pizzazz. Pizzazz. Yes, I agree. All right, let's finish out with the lineup here before we get into just some last questions about the whole team itself. I, it's hard to really preview the order um, of how it's going to be. I don't think it's all that significant. But we know that the guys at the top of the lineup are going to be, to me, Dryling, Simo, Peebles, Burke, Amick. Yeah. It feels like those are the five, top five. And, and t- KT, too, which is six. It's really the six just electric bats right there. Yeah, to me, the thing that's almost interesting about it is there's not really an obvious leadoff guy. Right. So, like, that's the spot I can see Tennessee tinkering with. Or maybe Hunter Insley is kind mm. of the leadoff guy because he has some speed and he's very much a contact hitter. He second last year. Yes. Um, but Hunter Insley isn't one of, I guess, I don't think he's one of Tennessee's best five or six hitters. So how does that work? And then again, just we've seen this less last year because they were almost overloaded with lefties. But again, I think you're going to have a lineup this year that's very divided between, pretty evenly split between right-handers, left-handers. And we know Tony Vitello loves to stagger lefty-righty when he has the chance. Um, Cannon's, Peebles is a right. Peebles is a switchy. Swi- he's a switch hitter. He, switchy. He's the Zane Denton. The switch hitter, yes. He's the, he's the Zane Denton. Um, Amick Moore, right-handed. Dry, Inslee, right-handed. Ins- tears. Inslee, Tears, Bargo, Chapman, whoever's in right field uh, is left-handed. Um, I feel like I'm forgetting somebody else, too. Well, Burke's left-handed. Burke's left-handed. That's the guy I was thinking of. And, yeah. Yeah, and Dryling, you mentioned left-handed. And, and all the middle infield guys are all right-handed. Yeah. Okay. So I think it's, what is that, 4-4-1 four, four, or 4-3-1? Burke, 
Whoever's in right field. Dryling. Dryling. So it's 4 3 1. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Four righties. Amy's a righty? Amy's a righty. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So the guys occupying seven through nine. If Inslee's not leading off, he's down there. Bargo's down there, probably. Yeah, whoever. Is DHing? Whoever's DHing slash then, right field. And then whoever's starting at shortstop or second. Are they the weakest bat? Yeah, I think so. Weaker than Hunter? I think so, yeah. I mean, it's, it's possible that they could have similar production to Hunter Inslee. But, those, those but that's like similar production to what Hunter, Hunter Inslee was last year. And that's assuming Hunter Inslee doesn't take a step forward, which is obviously possible. Yeah. Um, and that kind of feels like what Hunter Inslee was last year is what those guys' ceiling would be. doesn't mean they can't do it. I mean, it's possible. But there's no doubt that this lineup, when you look at Bargo and whoever <laughs> is there at short or second, the, the unknown, is... 1,000 times stronger than Stark and C. Scott. Yeah, 100%. Or Scott and C. Scott and Stark. Stark, yeah. So, a lot better lineup this year. That, that's a big theme of this podcast is that Tennessee's offense is going to be leaps and bounds better than they were last year. Pitching won't be as good, but a really solid team and an Omaha contender for sure. Some last couple of questions here okay. just to wrap it all up. I want to get back to the leader discussion. C. Scott, Merritt, Dickey, all gone as we have a uh, machine going off in the other room. Hopefully that's not <laughs> too much of an issue. But who's the leader of this team? The heartbeat. Yeah. Who, who do you got? Who you got? I know it's hard to say, but who you got? You're not. The- well, I think Drew Beams, number one guy. Okay. Um, and I, you know, I maybe I think Hunter Inslee. You mentioned the fire. I need a little bit more. I would say if the lineup guys, it's it's Inslee and Moore. Now, you almost kind of want to balance out those guys because Morris had the tendency. Morris too much sometimes. Morris can run a little hot. Yeah. And, you know, you hope that with some more experience and more maturity and age, like he is a little bit more cooled out and often a little more even kill. And I think even though we saw him run hot some last year, I still think there was a lot of improvement there from his freshman year to his sophomore year. So, you know, I, I think there, that's fair to think he could do that again. And where Inslee – is a little soft-spoken, at least with the media. I think he's a guy that his voice carries a lot of weight in that clubhouse and can be fiery when he needs to. So those are kind of the guys I'd point to. Um, you know, KT would be one that I'd be interested by. Um, but those are those are kind of the, the three, I would say, more in sleep. Beam. Rapid fire, four questions. First one, who needs to have his best season of his career? Blake Burke. X-Factor in the infield. Uh, I'll say Ariel Antigua. When he comes back? When he comes back, yeah. Because I, I think his ceiling and his bat is better than all the other uh, Juco freshman guys that could potentially start in that spot. X-Factor in the outfield? Reese Chapman. X- I think he's the one that can upset the plans and make it where Tennessee gets really crowded in a hurry. Just because he's by far the best defensive player out there? Because he's the best defensive. And he uh, takes a little bit of a step at the plate? Yeah, he takes a step at the plate. And then you have Bargo and Tears, who are both really good bats, and are lefty. It's like, how do you use those guys? Mm, good point. X-factor on the mound. You can say Beam. No, I don't think it's Beam. It's, it's Russell or Sneed. Hmm. I think I'll go Russell. I mean, I've kind of already been saying that. I think he's he's the biggest X factor for the team as a whole. I think it's Russell. Who's the biggest X factor for the pitching staff? I think it might be Steve. And I lied. There's a fifth question. Okay. X factor at the plate. That's a good question. That one's to me the hardest. 
to me, it's Amick or Peebles. If one of those guys is hitting over 400 and you just have a See, I don't even think unit. I'm so confident in Amick. He's been he was so good last year for a really good Clemson is he, team. Is he Tennessee's been, best hitter this year? I think he's Tennessee's best hitter. Yeah. Like I have more confidence in him. To me, Burke would again be that answer. Mm. Because of just the swing of the, how good the high can be and how bad we saw the low was last year. If you have Amick and Peoples do what they did at their old schools and you have Simo continue to be consistent and Burke returns to this just powerhouse form, I see what you're saying. That's a really dangerous quartet right there. What I will say, actually, to give some another in Burke, I'll say Inslee. Because Inslee, he doesn't have the ceiling of the other guys, but he's pretty darn penciled in as the starter in center field. Mm. Like He's yeah. going to be the guy in there. Almost certainly, even if he hits, if whether he hits 270 or whether he hits, he's probably not hit 270. Whether he hits 280 or whether he hits 340. Yeah. Uh, so, can he take a step forward? Can he be another bat that is just really good for Tennessee? I think changes the dynamic. You mentioned the leadoff spot earlier. Once upon a time, Dylan Dryling did that three or four times. Is he a candidate to do that? Yeah, I would say behind Hensley, he'd probably be the guy that I'd point to next. Okay, but but opening night, you think Hensley's. He's, he's on the one. That would be my guess. I don't have a whole lot. I say that with very little confidence and conviction. All right, time to put you on the spot. Bold prediction for this season. You get one. What is it? That's a good question. You go first. Let All right, I'll get mine. Um, last year was Blake Burke's SC Player of the Year. Not. <laughs> this year, it's A.J. Russell will lead Tennessee in strikeouts by 25. Wow, it's a big number. Last year, to give some context, Chase, Dolan, Chase Dolander led with 120. Okay. Chase Burns followed behind at 114, and Beam had 88. I think Lindsey was, you know, he didn't have as many innings, but he was around that 80 to 90 number. So Dolander led by six, but I don't think Tennessee's going to have a guy like Burns who can just pump strikeout after strikeout after strikeout. Maybe Snead becomes that guy, who knows? Yeah. But I'm going to say Ray J. Russell leads Tennessee in K's by 25. Remember, this is a bold prediction, and he will be an all SEC pitcher. I will say seven different Tennessee hitters hit double-digit home runs. Seven. Okay. All right. Burke. Yeah, while you're going, I'm going to try and provide some some, context. some history here yeah. with the last two teams. That's why I, I, my initial thought was six, and I said that might not be bold enough, so I'm going seven. seven. Burke, Moore, Amick, Peebles, KT, Dryling, and either Bargo or Inslee. Bargo or Inslee. All right, last year, five did it. Merritt, it's still wild to believe he led Tennessee in home runs, given how up and down his season kind of went. But Merritt, Moore, Burke, Denton, Dickey all had double-digit jacks in 2022. It's going to be a lot more than that. Um, of course, this is a historic team, so no team's probably ever going to live up to this. But in 2022, let's see here. We had Gilbert, Lipscomb, one, two, three. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Nine. That's so crazy. And you said seven this year? Yeah. So nine, five, seven. You're splitting the difference there. I'll, I'll say, okay, I think that's bold enough, right? Maybe I need to go eight. Um, go eight. I'll go eight. Why not? Add, you go Bargo and Inslee? I'll then? go Bargo and Inslee. Or, you know, Chapman's capable of doing it too. So. Okay. Um, my second bold prediction, kind of on the same thing, and this is my first thought. 15-plus home runs for KT. Ooh, I love that. Yeah. Okay, that's bold. Yeah. I'll, I'll give that one to okay. you. That's good. Combo Because he's run. never been a, a guy for Tennessee. Really. Yeah, never been a consistent guy. Yeah. But I, I just think this is a breakout year. I think he's the guy that 
We've seen so many guys in Tony's tenure, and they've mostly been infield. You really look at third base the way they've staggered them, of dudes that have paid their time in the program and sat on the bench as freshmen, had limited roles as sophomores, and then as a junior or senior, either been really the junior ones have been breakout stars, and the senior ones have just been like really solid players, like uh, C. Scott was for Tennessee last year. Mm-hmm. I think Kavaris Tears is that breakout star junior. He's waited his time. He's had a role, but he's never been the main guy. I think he's a stud, and I think he gets to do what Blake Burke didn't have the uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Blake Burke wasn't lucky enough where I think this lineup's so good, KT's going to be a guy that – got to pitch him. There's no pitching around him. There's no yeah. – he's not the guy hitting in the four hole. Yeah, he's going to be six, five through seven yeah, probably. like he's going to be after you get done facing Amick and Burke and Peebles or more. Like, then you got to get KT, and you got to p- pitch to him. I think that's where KT – you know, is gonna him hitting that many home runs become more feasible to me. I don't think fifteen quite leads the team. So who leads the team in home runs? Amic or Christian Moore. Moore, okay. Yeah. I think Amic's a little more. I think he, a little he's not a home runs. run hitter. Like he's Peebles is a home run hitter, right? Peebles is more. I of think, the, I think both those guys are kind of in that same. They're more certainly they can hit home runs, but they're more complete extra base hit guys. Gotcha. All right, Peebles twelve. 12 home runs, 11 doubles last year. Okay. And that was a true freshman, and now he gets to play in a more hitter-friendly park, that, that hitting was, a lot at lefty. That's what doesn't get talked about enough about that land for Tennessee is you get him for two years. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's the most, most encouraging part of it. Like, Amy, you only get for one, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Correct. So. You had a turnstile at catcher the last few years, ever since Connor Pavoloni left, and with Peebles, you have stability of this is the guy for two years. Yeah. All right. There you have it. That's going to wrap up this uh, long, lengthy 75-minute preview pod of the 2024 Tennessee baseball season, but I think it was necessary. Covered a lot of bases here. Ha <laughs> ha, no pun intended. But the Tennessee baseball season begins one week from today in Arlington, Texas at Globe Life Field when Tennessee takes on Texas Tech. That'll be at 8 p.m. Eastern time as part of the Shriners Children's College Showdown. They round out their weekend against Oklahoma on Saturday at 8 Eastern. And, of course, Baylor, 7.30 p.m. Eastern on Sunday. Don't, not really a fan of the late Sunday game. Okay. Yeah, I don't Why isn't that at noon? Come on. We'll, well it's probably because there's multiple games. Well, there. yeah, but who cares about the Who game? cares about the other t- screwed Irrelevant. teams? Irrelevant. Um, also, it's funny that two years ago was an opening weekend, but when Tennessee went to Houston, I believe, Astro Stadium. It was, yeah. Uh, they played Baylor in Oklahoma. Yeah. Remember uh, Chase Dolander gave, like, five runs in the, the first, first inning, inning and then yep. dominated the he rest of the way? Five runs and roughly 27 stolen bases in the first inning. <laughs> yeah, and then Beam, I believe, shut out Oklahoma on day three. I think so. And, of course, Tennessee lost to Texas night one when Burns was on the mound. Great Texas team. And Burns was really good, off. and Tennessee did what they always do with pitchers early in the season and didn't. You know, they didn't press. He threw 75 pitches. and oh, yeah. I think they were down 1-0 when he got out, went out of the game and it, you know, they didn't get killed, but it got away from the bullpen a little bit. But Tennessee's home opener will be on February 20th, 4.30 p.m. Eastern against UNC Asheville. The Fighting Drew Pimpers will be coming to town. That's right. So, And then they get another game after that against ETSU. So a double midweeker there to start their home season over at the newly renovated LNS. Yeah, it looks good over there, too. Right I think some of the stuff is going to be going on still during the season, especially mm. some of the stuff down right field. But, yeah, left field looks really good. Uh, making a lot of progress. Let's leave the people with your Super Bowl pick and score prediction. Chiefs win, and I'll say they win it 
27-23. I'm trying to debate, decide on whether I want to call it because I really think the Niners are going to win or if I should just not reverse jinx myself and pick yeah. the Chiefs at every turn and put the a lot of money on them to win the game. But right here, I'll keep it real. I'll say the Niners win 31-23. Okay. 49ers. I think this is it, man. I, I think they get it done. I'm See, I'm so – I'm a little scarred by – I had a Ravens AFC Championship Super Bowl ticket from back in October. Mm. And, you know, going into that game, I kind of felt this way the same way in the Bills game a little bit. It was like, well, I think, you know, I think the Ravens are a better team, but yeah. Patrick Mahomes, you know. It's, of course. And I've watched the 49ers play in the in the postseason, in the playoffs, and certainly their offense is better, what they have around the quarterback. And I'm like, is their team really that much better? Their defense has been underwhelming. Like, that's true. I just I do think their team is better, um, and their ability to come back in these games and just I think I, it's hard to say that. Of course, Mahomes and Kelsey have so much to play for. They just have that Michael Jordan mentality of the world stacked against them. They lie to themselves. But I do think yeah. the Niners will be more fired up. I mean, they had a lot of dudes on that 2019 team yeah. lose to the Chiefs in the in the Super Bowl there down in Miami. So I think they're going to get it done. Shanahan gets his redemption, gets that monkey off his back, and. And Purdy, rightfully, hopefully, gets his praise after winning a ring. Should be a great game. All right, everybody. That'll do it, as I said, for this preview pod. Be sure and check us out on social media. He's at rshump00. That's S-C-H-U-M-P. I'm at Jack Foster Media. RTI will have live coverage down there in Arlington next weekend for Tennessee baseball's opening weekend. And, of course, all of our written content is on rockytopinsider.com. For next time, that's Ryan. I'm Jack. We'll see you later. Peace.